Benjamins, baby. Uh huh, yeah. Well, not quite. I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy meet. And I'm your host, Chris Brummer. The future of finance is now. Good times are here again. One of the most interesting stories in fintech has been the surge of Bitcoin to over $12,000. Bitcoin lower on the news after soaring past the $9,000 milestone earlier this week. You've seen Bitcoin gain 40% year to date, now up over 250%. And it signals a rally generally among the global cryptocurrency markets. Now, what's really interesting about this particular surge, this particular bull run, is that people think that it may be the end of the so-called crypto winter. And crypto winter refers to this drop in Bitcoin prices in 2017 and a really relative half-dead zombie state uh, for the last couple of months. Now, there's a lot of optimism relating to this surge, in part from really a a perceived increase in institutional support by larger, more established fintechs and firms. So these are big institutions. Those are at all-time highs, and it continued to grow. So the Intercontinental Exchange, a really fancy big uh, exchange, has launched Backed, a digital asset platform, uh, and it's intended to be a federally regulated market for Bitcoin. Facebook, some of you may have heard of it, has released its plans for Libra, this global cryptocurrency. And accompanying all of it are some very interesting experiments going on at the infrastructural level. That is that there are all these attempts uh, between more established firms and, and sometimes some upstarts to really rethink the way that cryptocurrencies, that crypto assets are traded. So to discuss it all, I sat down with Sunaya Tuteja from TD Ameritrade and Matt Trudeau from X. Now, TD Ameritrade, many of you are surely familiar with it. It's a brokerage firm, a traditional old line brokerage firm that has decided to bust out of its shell and to invest in a new cryptocurrency exchange called X in a bid to offer its clients uh, digital asset investment options, possibly beyond even Bitcoin. X, meanwhile, is a really interesting firm, and it's trying to build a platform, a technology platform for trading not only cryptocurrencies, but also contracts that deliver cryptocurrencies called futures. These are certain kinds of derivatives contracts. This is quite unusual, and so I wanted to know a little bit more about their plans and, and the apparent thaw in crypto winter. So here it goes. So thank you both so very much for joining me. We have the honor and the pleasure of having two of the really cutting edge emerging experts in the field of crypto infrastructures. And today we're going to be talking a little bit more about crypto winter, whether or not there's a rebound, whether or not there's a bright blue sky given this very uh, troubling period. And we have Sunaina Tuteja from TD Ameritrade and we have Matt Trudeau from X. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Chris. 
Okay, simple question number one off the bat. Sunaina, is crypto winter over? <laughs> Um, well, if this weekend and crypto Twitter this weekend was any indicator, it seems like it. Um, um, no, I think the way you set it up, you know, there's a few signals that we look at um, to assess the health of the market and kind of, you know, I'm from Canada, so, you know, to see where this, you know, the puck is going um, <laughs> and kind of skate towards it. So I would say a couple of things that we're paying attention that gives us, you know, the enthusiasm. Uh, and number one is, you know, obviously in this role, you get to meet with a lot of people working on lots of exciting projects uh, in the crypto space, whether it's on the digital asset side or on the DLT side. And I think just the quality of the projects and uh, the level of nuance that and, 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 and work that's going into it are, you know is a, is a strong signal that you know we maybe are coming out of that winter maybe we're in spring approaching summer I think the other thing you know that we look at given our business and you know obviously we have the you know honor of serving 11 million clients every day is the voice of the client right and the enthusiasm and the type of questions and the interest that we get from our clients also starts to indicate that the interest is growing okay Matt Canadians are optimistic they, they, they seem to, you know, see the bright, you know, raptors aside, uh, you know, to see the, the, the good things coming along. Do you also get a sense that crypto winter is over? And when you think about the crypto winter experience, what signs would you look for to see whether or not there's a rebound in the market? Well, with a last name like Trudeau, I guess I, I probably at least share some of the Canadian optimism. <laughs> True. <laughs> Notwithstanding being an American. I agree with a couple of the points that Sunaina made. Uh, one being that the quality of the projects seems to be improving. In particular in my role, but just in general, I take a, a long view of this market and think about the long-term sustainability and the longevity of the crypto space. And I think that the crypto winner, if it has done something in terms of a positive contribution to the market, it has wrung out a bit some of maybe the companies and projects and products that maybe weren't as viable, uh, weren't as professional, and so some of the, the what remains now will be higher quality better teams, better products, better funding. So I do think we're seeing some green shoots. I, it, there's a thaw, let's mm -hmm. say. Uh, I don't know that we're necessarily out of the woods yet, but I'm optimistic. I, I like that, the, the crypto thaw. Just to follow up with your observation there, Matt, did you see any trends potentially as to what kinds of companies and projects tended to succeed during crypto winter versus the kinds of projects that hit headwinds during the during the period? Well, I think if you look at what companies and projects were funded, and I'm definitely taking this from, or looking at this from the seat in capital markets, there were a lot of, of infrastructure type companies that got funded. So Aerosex being one, and it seems like some of the institutional capital that came in was from an increasingly sophisticated set of investors. So, you know, there are a lot of other projects maybe around the edges, but the ones that I was especially interested in and excited to see get funded were the ones that had to do with infrastructure for trading, custody, clearing, and so forth. Sunaina, do you happen to share that view? I think to double click on what Matt said, you know, one of the silver linings of maybe the crypto winter was, you know, maybe the charlatans were like, I want nothing to do with it. And, you know, the hype is gone. I'm out of here. And I think that serves the overall ecosystem well. It's the meaningful application of this technology versus chasing a shiny object. You know, the way we look at crypto is, you know, three prong, you know, what products and services would, will we commercialize? What partnerships will we form? And what investments will we make? in the space and I would say whether it was winter or now in the thaw our our rigor has not changed we've continued to look at it and I think to Matt's point I think the infrastructure area still needs a lot of work so we're seeing a lot of energy go in there one of the challenges is particularly with crypto is on the one hand 
you know, its origins were very sort of from, from the bottom up. You had lots of retail folks, but we're hearing now and seeing more of an institutional focus. Here we are in Manhattan, in New York, more banks, more legacy financial institutions are seeing that there may be something going on in this space and that they may be able to intervene or to build up infrastructure in ways to improve the ecosystem. And that in and of itself is, is a very interesting process because when you bring in those legacy players, questions about licensing comes up, uh, regulatory and policy issues are immediately brought to the fore because you're dealing with not only larger amounts of money, but, but institutions that are themselves subject to, to, to greater uh, regulation. I, I know that Iris X, X has been through or is engaged in, in, in that uh, process. Uh, to the extent to which you can talk about them, Matt, like how has that been? So there are probably a few points to make on, on this topic. You know, I think that crypto has, to some extent, followed the typical path of a disruptive technology. So when it first emerged, uh, as, as disruptive technologies typically do, they're not full featured. They don't meet the requirements of everybody and, and the most sophisticated, most demanding players. And so they, they need time to evolve and mature. And I think we're starting to see that now. I think one of the things that happened early on that maybe made things more difficult in hindsight than, than they might otherwise have been is there was a lot of, I think, some of the early players in the space that weren't deeply rooted in traditional capital markets, didn't really understand regulation, hadn't had that experience growing up in a highly regulated environment, maybe didn't take enough time to learn and understand the existing regulations. And so the opening salvo was, well, what we're doing here is really different. This technology is new and novel, and it doesn't adhere to any regulations, and maybe in some cases, shouldn't regulations just shouldn't apply. And so that type of a position is clearly going to make regulators uncomfortable. Uh, and, and I think it muddied the waters a bit. So there was probably a number of years of walking some of that back, really starting to bring some players into the market that understood both worlds and could help make a bit of a translation between the two. So you know, I think we're now at a point where the regulators actually do have a pretty clear understanding and are getting up, well up the curve at this point. And that's been our experience. So, and a, a process to go through, whether it's at the federal level with, for example, in our case, the CFTC or the states uh, as it relates to the money transmission business licenses, these are not easy processes by any means. They're rigorous. The regulators really want to understand your business and operational controls, your policies and procedures, who you have on staff, what you've done in terms of vetting those people, background checks, and so forth. And it is not an easy thing to do, but for our team, having then uh, having operated in the capital markets for a long time, the team that is taking us through those application processes, these things are well understood and not a surprise. So one thing that I've just heard from both of your conversations when you think about crypto winter is, and you can think about the origins of, of crypto winter, you know, there was certainly a lot of interest in lots of different products. Sometimes they were not subject to the regulations, certainly that they needed to be subject to in terms of their disclosures. Do you hear more or less familiarity and awareness and understanding as to the benefits and risks of those products as compared to say a, a year or two ago throughout you know this time we have seen a steady interest from our clients and you know one of the most uh, real ways that i hear from our clients every day is 
Our clients can go to any of our platforms today and with the tap of a button, express their interest to learn about crypto or wanna you know, engage with this new asset class. And all of that comes into my inbox. So talk about your mm -hmm. clients keeping you honest mm -hmm. and being a big part of your product development process. So you know, we've seen that interest be steady. Now there are moments when we start to see spikes, like you know, consensus week, when there's such great awareness of this topic, we obviously saw a big spike. And I think there has just also been a lot of speculation and positive. I mean, the return of Bitcoin. Exactly, right? right? And you know, I, I, we've, we've, you know, we've seen kind of the energy from our clients again increase over the last few weeks. So there's that voice of the client, but then we also look at the action side, right? And obviously we offer Bitcoin futures today. And you know, that is a great telltale sign in terms of how many of our clients are engaged in the product that we have launched and we continue to see that you know nice and steady you know uh, growth you know month over month and I think the other point I would make is interestingly I know I was surprised by this even the demographic trend you know there's this expectation that oh it's all your younger clients it's the millennials who are interested in it what we've seen based on the voice of the client but even our clients who are trading Bitcoin futures it's yes it's the younger segment but it's also the segment 45 and older oh I, I, I've, I've, I've noticed that as well that's 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 an, an and a really important observation. So Matt, uh, one of the observations and, and what's something that I, I've seen and I found extremely interesting is the platform that it looks like you guys are trying to, to build. And, and I'm just trying to sort of piece together from my own perspective how this would work and, and what was really your, your thinking behind this idea of creating a, a unified platform, getting back to Sunaina's point, of a both spot and futures platform for crypto assets. So, so obviously this would allow someone to both trade the actual cryptocurrency on, on the platform as well as the futures, which are the, the, the contracts whereby you have delivery of the particular digital asset. That, that's highly unusual, very interesting, and you know, it is something that you don't even uh, see all the time in your traditional commodities uh, space. That's right. So there are a couple of, I think, important things when you think about an exchange and market infrastructure. And in terms of table stakes, just having a reliable, predictable, performant platform with high availability is something where you can trade securely and you don't have to worry about counterparty risk is something that is well established in many other asset classes. And so as a starting point, we wanted to create that kind of a platform for crypto. It's, you know, it's to the point where in other asset classes, that's almost really taken for granted. You don't have to think about it on a day-to-day -day basis. It just works. So we've started there. And with the launch of our spot market, we, we think that we've delivered on that in terms of the spot trading. We have some work to do on the, on the licensing front before we can launch the futures market. But if we hit our goals this year, which are uh, the four goals were to launch the spot market, that's complete. Uh, the remaining goals are to get the bit license in New York, get the DCO, which is Derivative Clearing Organization license for the clearinghouse, and we already have what's called- So that's the, from the CFTC. That's from the CFTC. Right. We've got a DCM, which is a designated contract market, which is the exchange license. So if we have those two, then we'll launch the futures market hopefully by the end of the year. And then as you noted, we'll have spot and futures on a single consolidated unified platform, both the exchange and clearinghouse. And you're right, that isn't really very common, even in traditional commodities. And what we thought we could do is, is create efficiency. So if I am a market maker or let's say a producer, let's say I'm a Bitcoin mining company, 
and I want to manage my inventory risk as I'm mining the Bitcoin. I can make use of the futures contracts on this market, and then I can also sell the Bitcoin on the same market. So I can open a single account and I can take advantage of both the futures and the, the spot trading on a single platform. So just to, to jump in here, so it's kind of like, okay, so, so I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a wheat farmer here, and you know, I can on the one hand you know, sell my wheat while at the same time entering into a hedging or a kind of, let's make it really simple for the purposes today, you know, some kind of an insurance uh, sort of futures product where I can insure a certain price for some of the wheat that I'm selling and I can do it all on the same platform. So that way I can both, you know, try to venture out into the real or sort of immediate market uh, for, for, for wheat while at the same time if I want to sort of hedge my bets because I'm afraid of a storm wiping out my crop or something. I can also enter into those particular markets all in the same on the same platform. Right. So if, if you what's well, at least I can go to a broker to to, to, to do that for me if, if if needed. True. So you can depending on the type of institution that we're talking about, they can either trade directly onto the market or through a broker. Uh, but you're right. They can use the futures contract to hedge out for longer dated uh, inventory risk and price management, and in a in a fairly volatile price environment that can be useful. They can also sell as, what's different about let's say wheat versus Bitcoin is obviously Bitcoin is digital. And so that was something that we thought was fairly unique about this product is that it exists only in a digital form. And so whereas wheat needs to be delivered to let's say a warehouse and then taken off someplace where it goes into a manufacturing process, Bitcoin can stay stored digitally in a clearinghouse or even in somebody's public wallet on the blockchain, for example. So just one other, I think, relevant point here is, is on the one hand, there's a convenience factor for being able to trade the two. There's also a collateral efficiency. So where in other markets, you might be able to only trade one product or another. And in those instances, you may also have to have cash and or crypto at each of those exchanges. So it may require you to have double the, uh, the amount of cash out stored at, at away exchanges or double the amount of crypto. In the case of our platform, you can have both your cash and crypto in a single place, and that allows some efficiency as you're trading across both of those different products, the spot and the futures. Well, what's the downside of up, right? So from, from your perspective, what are the, the, the risks and the controls or the concerns that you have in mind when you are going to develop this particular kind of platform? Are there additional safeguards that need to be taken into consideration? Have the regulators in general welcomed this development? Because it's, it certainly seems to me from an outsider to be a good opportunity to create liquidity. On the other hand, you do have to ask questions about market manipulation if, you, if your player is too big and has particularly is trading in a, in a relatively illiquid crypto asset. What kinds of, of, of thinking comes into building that particular kind of platform when you're trying to manage the downside of up? Okay, I'll jump in here. So a few different points in there. One was on market manipulation. You know, again, this is something that is a concern in really every asset class on the planet. And so there, I think it's it's incumbent upon any exchange to have a really robust surveillance program in place. And so that's something that we prioritized. The regulators are very comfortable with surveillance programs on exchanges. These are things where you're not necessarily inventing anything terribly new or novel. You just you need to make sure that you're you've implemented a really robust program and you've got people and staff that understand what they're doing. So going back to one of my earlier points about how 
a lot of what exists in the crypto markets is not necessarily new and novel. There are some things that are. So for example, key management. This is an area where there aren't really well understood or, or previously weren't really well understood policies and procedures and controls and best practices around how you do that. So when we've gone through the, whether it was to secure an insurance policy or as we've gone through the regulatory approval process, what we've really tried to do is look at all of the operations of the business, walk through all the things that should map really well or do map really well to things that are understood, that aren't new and novel, and then isolate just the things that are. And so when we come to key management, there is there have had to have been developed over the last few years new policies and procedures and best practices around that. And we're seeing that regulators and even insurance companies who are underwriting the risk are getting comfortable with that now. And so those are the kinds of things where we've, you know, if we're going to be entrusted with client assets at the clearinghouse, we have to make sure that they're safe and secure. And Sunina, when you hear about these, a new platform, um, new technological upgrades in, in some instances, and, and, and opportunities, risks, all being combined facing your, your TD Ameritrade's legacy clients, uh, what do you feel, from your perspective, would be a major impediment to the continuation of the institutionalization process? What do you see as, as the major headwinds to institutionalization, and, and how, what do you hear from your clients about institutionalization more generally in terms of how and whether it's an attractive development mm -hmm. for them? So, well, maybe I'll start from your, one of your points. So I think we all have that proverbial story of when we got into the rabbit hole and couldn't dig ourselves out of it. So I started my journey like late 2011, early 2012. I remember going to the early meetups where it was the purest, you know, oh, yeah. from the crypto ethos. And they're still my friends, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I won't. But I think that's one of the things I find fascinating and I think is a strength of this ecosystem is just a diversity of thoughts and goals and objectives. Different people come into crypto at different points with different goals and different ethos. And in a way, it's one of the most welcoming tech ecosystems, right? But I think specific to our, our, our clients, listen, there has been a lot of positive energy about the, yes, there's been some that are, we don't want institutions, but overall there has been a lot of positive energy around the institutions are starting to lean in because with that comes a level of scale and credibility, which I think is healthy for the overall ecosystem, right? And what we look at is that also comes with a level of, I guess, a burden of proof that our level of due diligence has to be higher because if we are going to lend this credibility and if we are going to you know take this digital uh, you know this new asset class and work with our clients and this notion of bringing wall street to main street right and making it more mainstream that we are responsible to our clients to do it in the utmost prudent manner right and mm -hmm. i think a lot of the points that you know matt has talked about and back to you one of your early questions around you know is crypto winter over what i like is there's all of this great work happening to bring maturity and health to this ecosystem. And I kind of, to go along with your analogy, maybe we're nearing that Cambrian explosion. Like all the all the points are stacking up nicely and when the thaw period is over, like, you know. Totally. Uh, and it's, so I think that, that that's one of the areas we, we spend a lot of time thinking about because we take that level of due diligence and prudence seriously because we've got 11 million clients who are counting on us. 
So we want to make sure that the security protocols, the infrastructure, the liquidity, all of those elements are, you know, the way they should be. One interesting data point, you know, your audience might find is, you know, there's also a lot of myths, right? You know, oftentimes we hear, well, the retail client doesn't want digital asset because it's very volatile, right? Well, we actually did some analysis. So TD Ameritrade clients, you know, the FANG stocks are some of the most held and traded stocks, you know, of our clients. So, so Facebook and Facebook, the tech stock. Yeah. Well, we did some analysis and, you know, some of these FANG stocks have actually demonstrated more volatility in like the last 12 to 18 months than crypto or Bitcoin has. So I think part of this journey is also a little bit of that myth busting and kind of kind of saying the same thing as, oh, it's just the millennials. No, it's not. The, I mean, you know, this has gone mainstream when my mother spends the entire Sunday dinner talking about Libra and Bitcoin. And I'm like, I'm happy about it, but then there's a part of me that's like, no, but this is for me and my friends. So, you know, I think there's also a lot of myth that, you know, when you look at the true data points, you're like, I hate to quote my dad, but it's that analogy of there isn't that much new under the sun. It's just a new iteration. <laughs> and we really do appreciate both of you uh, coming here. Uh, it's really an interesting project, and uh, thanks for taking your time out. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Chris. Pleasure to be here. And now we're going to transition to our segment, Chris's World, where popular culture and fintech meet. Now, I, like the rest of the world, was shocked and indeed horrified by the announcement this week that I thought would surely have global implications for my fellow Americans. Netflix was losing the office and NBC Universal has now won the streaming rights for the show. Thunder Mifflin, this is Pam. Pam, it's Michael. Help me. I need help right now. Michael, what's wrong? I'm hurt. I have hurt myself. Oh my God. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Oh, this is not looking good. Now, the zombie hordes around the world have been grasping to figure out just in what ways the change is going to impact global viewing habits. And I'm pretty much with everyone else on this. I want to know what's going on. But it did have me thinking a little bit about Libra and whether it, too, will be tomorrow's Netflix of cryptocurrencies. And before I could come up with my own answer, another Chris, the CEO of Viable Markets, Chris White, had managed to offer an answer and indeed steal my analogy before I could even get this onto the podcast. So I'm going to leave it to him. Uh, and this comes from a conversation uh, we had over in New York at Crypto Evolved, where I was asking about the impact Libra would have. I think anytime you're talking about disruptive technology or disruptive ideas, uh, the majority of the population waits for things like a Facebook adopting digital asset technology before they decide that it's something for them. Um, prior to that, they just look at it as being some nascent thing that, that people who are geeks or enthusiasts are into. And so I would say that, you know, 12 to 18 months after Libra, I really want to see what the overall tone and perspective is on just digital asset markets and, and digital asset technology going forward. That's, I think, going to be the most exciting thing, not whether it makes it. So just, it, this is a catalyst then for a, car, a bigger conversation, not just about Facebook, but about digital assets more generally. Right, right. I, mean, I don't think it's that different than, let's say, you know, the, the, the talk about streaming video content. Uh, it was, we talked about it, some people had it, and then 
Netflix made a major commitment to it, and then all of a sudden, like, that's all we think about in terms of how we consume content. Do I think that the adoption of Libra is going to, to lead us to, to move away from fiat currencies and no more paper money? I wouldn't predict that. However, I don't think it's, it's no longer a, sort of a niche discussion where only the enthusiasts who've been reading white papers are able to discuss what's going on in the digital asset market. I think you're going to see a lot more mainstream opinions just because you have to have an opinion uh, due to who's, who's getting involved now. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if other major companies start doing the same. I'm Chris Brummer. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you. Feel free to email us at fintechbeat at cqrollcall.com or tweet to at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. Join us next time on Fintech Beat, produced by CQ Roll Call.